We recently have been studying the life of Elijah, how to have a growing faith. As we pick up next week, we will pick up on a part of the story where he is going to call all of Israel to make a choice. That they can no longer live both with one foot in the world and one foot supposedly loving God. They had to choose. They met on a mountaintop and he will call them to choose that day whom they're going to serve. Either it's the God Jehovah, the one true God, or the God of this world. And as we pick up on that next week, we're all going to find that we have that same challenge laid out in front of us. While Elijah drew a line in the sand, today the Gospels are going to draw a line in the sand for you as well. Today you will have to choose who God is. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Where is truth found? You'll find that all in the challenges of Scripture today. As we look into this Holy Week, Good Friday we met and we we saw some choices that were made during Holy Week. We're going to continue that theme in today's sermon by looking at a bunch of different choices that happened that last week in Jesus' life. As we look at those choices, we'll find that those choices are no different than what a lot of people choose today as it relates to who Jesus is and what Easter is all about. The power of choices. As a matter of fact, you chose to be here today. You could have been somewhere else. You could have been doing anything, but you made a choice to be here today, and that's a great choice. Uh, I had to make a choice yesterday, as I said earlier. Everybody was wondering, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it outside? The weatherman said, as if the weatherman gets it right. I wish, I wish the church would follow the truth of scriptures just half as much and give it as much respect as we give the weatherman. The dude is always missing it, and yet every day we're tuning in. My son made a bad choice. He allowed me to babysit his motorcycle while he was away on his honeymoon. And every day I was waking up, and I had to look and see what the weatherman was saying, as if he is the prophet of truth. If the Lord missed out just on one or two of the prophecies, hundreds that were given all fulfilled in this moment we celebrate today, if he would have just missed one, he would have been proven to be a false prophet. Yet a weatherman in Oklahoma can miss it um, 78% of the time, and we consider it gospel. What are we thinking? What are we doing when we build our lives on certain choices? Your parents, without your parents making a choice to start a family, you wouldn't be here today. We are a result of our choices. And a matter of fact, who you are today as you're sitting here, as you're in church on Easter Sunday, you are a byproduct of all the choices you made this year, last year, the years before. It's the power of choices. And through our lives, we don't always make great choices. We're certainly going to see in Holy Week, there were a lot of bad choices that were made. We can look back in history, just the history of our nation, and we can find a lot of bad choices. I take you back to 1962. Not very many of you were even around in 1962. Decca Records. Anybody ever heard of Decca Records? They were, a few do, uh, they were the record company of the United States. They had Bill Haley in the comments. They had all these upstarting rock stars, and man, they were the biggest thing going. In 1962, they brought in two bands, and I always say it wrong, the tre- tre- <laughs> it's not the Tremellos, the Tremellos, however you say it. Uh, there was a band called the Tremellos, I guess is how you say it, and there was another band, and they both interviewed to be the next star of the company. Well, the president called the BPs together at the end of the day and said, man, I I like both of them. They both look like they'll sell a lot of records. You guys just pick one of them and let me know who you pick. Well, they picked the Tremellos, and as a result, they missed out on the number one selling band ever in the history of the world, the Beatles. 
They picked them over the Beatles. Can you believe that? What are they thinking? And they missed out on the highest selling group ever in the history of records. Nice call, ref. Anybody remember Excite.com? Excite.com. I didn't think so. Excite.com was the number one technology company in the United States heading into the 2000s. In 1999, right as it was about to be that turn into the 2000s, they were offered the ability, the opportunity to buy out an upstart company that would help them really uh, kind of seize the market, if you will. They were offered to buy this company for $750,000. That was a lot of money. They looked at the decision and they decided, well, that's, that upstart is just a passing fad. Nobody's going to really get into that. And they turned down the opportunity to purchase Google.com in 1999. The rest of the story, Excite being led through such revolutionary leadership, would sell their company five years later for $500 million dollars less than what Google makes in a single day. They missed the boat. Well, we could go back even further. You could go back into the 1800s. Western Union had the monopoly of technology. It was the telegraph. That's how people communicated back then. You would send a telegraph, and they had wired the whole United States. They had the monopoly on communication. Then a guy by the name of Alexander Graham Bell, you ever heard of that dude? Invented a telephone, a telephone. And in that process, he came to Western Union, offered them to buy his patents for $100,000. The leader at that time of Western Union was a guy by the name of Orton. And Orton, the president of the company, looked at all of it and he came to this conclusion. We don't need your stinking technology we're fine just like we own the map. We own all communication. That's nothing but a silly little toy. That's exactly what he said. And could have had the patents for $100,000. Bell would go on to found his own company, and within two years, those patents were worth $25 million. A lot of missed opportunities. A lot of bad choices. Those are pale in comparison to the choices we're about to see in Scripture. Different choices people made about who Jesus was, who Jesus claimed to be. I hope that you don't walk away from here today making a mistake like Decca Records and missing out on the God of all eternity. Let's look at some of those choices. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. The Bible says it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover. It was approaching. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. You know you're probably not walking in a true religion when the leaders of that religion are trying to take somebody else's life. That's not a very good sign that you've woken up in the center of truth. But here these are, these religious leaders think they're doing the will of God by destroying who they thought was a false prophet. That was their choice. And as we look in on this story, we find somebody else making very bad choices. In verse 3 it says, Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. One of the twelve disciples, Judas, allows this opportunity. He chooses to let the enemy of his soul invade his heart. He becomes filled with Satan at that moment. How did he get there? We're going to dig on that in just a minute, and you'll discover why. 
He went and he found the chief priests and he discussed with them how he could betray Jesus to them. They were glad and they agreed to give him money. Again, we find another choice based on a financial transaction. Just like Decca Records, just like Excite.com, and just like we saw with Western Union. And in all those cases, and in Judas is no exception, they all sold out way too short. Judas was willing to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Why would he do that? It says that he watched from that point on for a good opportunity to betray him when there was no crowd to be found. All for 30 pieces of silver. A bad choice. A choice that was made that wasn't just the betrayal of Jesus, it's how he got there in the first place. You see, Judas looked like the real deal. He looked like a real disciple. He was one of the 12. He was chosen. He was handpicked to be one of the 12. He spent every day for three years with Jesus. He watched all that Jesus was. He saw behind the curtain. He knew if this guy was real or if he was a fraud. He saw it all. And he watched Jesus every day with compassion, minister to people, preach the truth, reach out to people who were hurting, those that nobody else would touch, lepers he would cleanse. Blind people would receive their sight. Lame would walk again. He was even there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. You're talking about an unbelievable miracle. He saw all of that. And Jesus entrusted him with all the funds. He was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry. And everybody who looked at Judas, he looked like the company guy. He looked like a loyal follower of Christ. But he was in it for the wrong reason. You see, Judas wanted to be a part of the Messiah. He wanted to be a part of those who would bring in who they thought was going to drive Rome out of their city. Judas wanted to be where all the energy was. He wanted to be in on the ground floor of this Messiah movement. And he signed up. And he saw a way that this would benefit him. This Jesus would give him great wealth, great privilege, and great power. Year after year, he kept wondering, Jesus, why are we not in the capital? Why have we not driven Rome back to their territory? What are you waiting on, Jesus? And finally, he couldn't wait any longer. Jesus, matter of fact, had been telling his disciples, guys, I'm leaving. Wait a minute. You can't leave. We followed you. For, we surrendered everything to follow you. You're supposed to be the Messiah, the promised one. You can't leave. Matter of fact, Jesus said, know this too, I'm laying my life down. And in that moment, Judas said, that's not what I signed up for. That doesn't help me. Well, what good is it if we've given you three years of our life and you're just going to quit? That's how Judas saw it. And so he said, well, if Jesus ain't going to finish the job, I'm going to call him on it. And he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. There are some people today that have given up on Jesus and said, well, Jesus, you're not doing anything for me. What's Jesus going to do for me? Let me tell you what Jesus is going to do for you. Jesus is going to go to a cross for you. Jesus is going to die in your place and pay the penalty for your sin, for my sin. That's what Jesus is going to do. Let me tell you what else Jesus is going to do. He's going to be buried in a tomb. He's going to die. He is going to lay down his life. But he ain't going to stay dead because he is the author of life. And he is the promised one of Genesis 3.15 that was sent to crush the head of the enemy of your soul. And Jesus would do that through his resurrection. Jesus will give you all that you need if you come to him as your king. Judas didn't want anything to do with it. And so this guy that looked like the real deal would sell out for profit 
by selling out the prophet. He would try to gain something from the moment because Jesus wasn't enough for him. Really bad choice. Well, he wasn't the only disciple that made bad choices. We saw on Friday, Peter also made his own bad choices. Peter had now gotten to a point to where instead of being that humble fisherman, he was now the leader of the pack. He was now, he believed in his own mind, he was the number one of all the 12 disciples. Matter of fact, he'd made arguments regularly among his own peers, how inferior they were to him and that he was going to be the VP, the vice president of Jesus' Messiah team. Well, that night before Jesus' arrest, he would make bad choice after bad choice. He would choose to slumber in the garden rather than pray against the evil one. He would choose to go coasting in his faith. He would choose to follow Jesus from a distance after he'd been arrested. And then that night he chose to betray Jesus three times. Doing what he thought he would never do. How did he get there? I mean, just hours before he said, Lord, I would never, ever do what you say I'm going to do. Matter of fact, I'll die for you. I love you so much, I'll lay down my life for you. And yet, just a few hours later, he's doing what he thought he could never do. Why? Because of bad choices. And there's some today that are here, you love the Lord, but you've been making some bad choices. You've chosen other things. You've chosen to get casual in your Christianity. You've chosen to coast. You've chosen to, yes, know Jesus, but not walk with Jesus. You're following from a distance. Today, make the choice Peter made in the end where he went out and he wept bitterly and he got broken over his casual Christianity. But there's another choice you need to see that relates to a lot of people today. It's found in John chapter 18. Turn over to John chapter 18 and verse 28. We're going to look at a guy named Pilate today and his choices. He was not expecting this. He didn't wake up wanting to make a choice, but was faced with a choice. And we get to John chapter 18, and it says that after Jesus had been arrested, they tried all kinds of different political angles to get Jesus crucified. They had taken him to Caiaphas, and now they have come from Caiaphas into the praetorium. And it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium because they didn't want to be defiled. They didn't want to be in the presence of the pagans because it was Holy Week. And yet here they are plotting for murder. All worried about defiling themselves on the outside but not realizing they've already defiled their hearts. And they came to Pilate. Pilate, who's this Pilate guy? Pilate was like the mayor of Jerusalem. He had been placed by the Roman government who now was in control. These pagans were now in control of the holy city, the capital of Israel. They were the outsiders who were controlling everything. Pilate has been assigned by the Roman government to watch over this city, this critical capital city of Israel, to make sure there was no insurrections, there were no rebellions, no riots, and to keep peace in that city. He has a cushy government job, but now it's going to get messy. They brought Jesus to Pilate, and they brought him to get Pilate's justice. And Pilate said this, he said, what is your accusation? What has this guy done? They answered and they said, this man, if he were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have delivered him to you. And so again, Pilate's like, okay, what evil has he done? There was no case to be found. 
They tried to accuse him that he was trying to be a king of Israel. They accused him falsely of different things and said, this man must be put to death. And Pilate said, why don't you take care of him under your own law? You see, Pilate could already see a mile away that this man was innocent, that he wasn't evil, that he had done nothing wrong, and yet he had to make a choice. What was he going to do with this Jesus? Well, he chose to play it politically correct. He chose to appease the Jews rather than to make a righteous choice. There may be somebody here today or somebody viewing online, and you're wrestling with, who is Jesus going to be in my life? Who do I believe Jesus to be? And maybe because of your peer group or maybe because of a culture that wants to reject all that Jesus is and all he stands for, you may draw the conclusion to play it politically correct just like the rest of the crowd. Verse 33, Pilate entered again into the praetorium. He summoned Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? Now it looks like he's seeking truth. It's as if he's trying to be a just man. No, he's just playing the political game. If he can get Jesus to confess that he is a king, he can certainly have him put to death because that would be rebellion against Caesar. And so he asked, it's interesting how Jesus followed up. Look at this, verse 34. Jesus answered, he said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Why would Jesus ask that question? Remember, I've taught you anytime Jesus asks a question, stop and put yourself in the question. Why would he ask him, is that your own thinking or did somebody else plant that idea in your head you see Jesus was trying to discern was Pilate really looking for truth or was Pilate just playing a game was he just a pawn in the story or was he really seeking to know who Jesus really was Jesus would ask you the same question today why are you here did you really come seeking to glorify Jesus on Easter or did you just come to church because that's what you're supposed to do did you just come because you had to come you just come because you're supposed to come. Or did you come seeking the Jesus of Easter? Pilate answered and he said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Like, duh. I, I'm just trying to figure out the story. Obviously, they've told me you claim to be a king. Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me is what Pilate said. What have you done wrong? Why do you have them so ticked off? And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was... You and your whole army couldn't stop me. That's basically what Jesus said. And all of a sudden, Pilate starts to calm down. At first, he thought, man, I got a problem here. If this guy's trying to lead this nation to rebel against Caesar, it's going to be on my head. I'm going to be a dead man. I'm going to lose my government job, my pension, and, all, and perhaps my very own life. But now Jesus declared, no, I didn't come to be a king on this earth. Thank you, Jesus. Well, he didn't say that, but he should have. And he's feeling peace in the moment. And things are looking brighter and better. There's no threat here. But Jesus said, you say correctly, I am a king, and I was born for this. For I've come to the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate responded. And I want you to see what he said. It's in verse 38. Look at it. Pilate said to him, what is truth. Can you kind of put yourselves in Pilate's shoes for a moment? On one hand, he's got these witnesses, these chief priests, these scribes, these leaders of the city, highly respected, 
prominent people of the city, and they're saying, this guy is a looney tune. This guy claims to be a king. He isn't our king. We don't want him to be a king. And Caesar certainly doesn't want him to be a king. Does he listen to those voices? Are they telling the truth? He then comes and he interviews Jesus. Are you a king? And he says, yeah, I'm a king, but not of this world. What does that mean? What are you talking about? What is truth? Are you telling me the truth? Are they telling me the truth? Is the crowd telling me the truth? Where do you find truth? That was Pilate's question. What is truth? What's truth to you? I love it today. We say, well, that's their truth, as if there's multiple truths. Well, my math teacher never, never responded when I tried to say my truth was 2 plus 2 is 153. She didn't honor that truth. That isn't true. We can't just declare what is true. What is truth? And that begs another question. Where are you going to find it? I promise you, you're not going to find truth in the world's religions. That's man's made-up way of making their way to God. Religions never solved it. You're not going to find it, I promise you, in the media. And I don't care what channel you're tuning into. It's all distorted truth. You're not going to find it in the politics of the day, and yet we are so anxious for somebody to make it into the White House that's going to save the day, as if that fixes everything. You're not going to find it in the crowd. We're going to see that in a moment, that what our culture is declaring to be true is so far off base, it's incredible. And yet we declare it to be true. What is truth? You see, truth is not found in an institution, and truth is not found in our own understanding truth is found in a person and that's why it's very interesting that Jesus revealed himself and he said know this I am the way I am the truth he didn't say I'm teaching truth he said I am the truth truth is found in a person it's found in Jesus Christ Pilate wasn't looking for truth if he was he would have said so explain to me more tell me What do you mean you're the truth? He would have spent time with Jesus digging in. He would have engaged, but he didn't really want to know the truth. He just wanted to try to get out of the situation. Because the Bible says here, instead of staying engaged with Jesus, he walks out. Look at it, verse 38, last part it says, And when Jesus had said this, Pilate went out to the crowd, to the Jews, and said, I find no guilt in him. He tried to wash his hands of it and said, that's my choice. I'm, I don't choose. This is your problem, not mine. No, no, no. Everyone must choose. You see, Pilate's choice not to choose was a choice. And there are some people today who say, well, I, I, I just, I'm kind of agnostic. I'm not an atheist. I just, I know there's a God. I just don't know whether Jesus is who he said he was. That's a choice in and of itself. Just like Pilate trying to let the crowds end up making the decisions or to put off the decision and delay his choice. So he comes in verse 9, he tries to become clever. He tries to manipulate the law to his own advantage. In verse 39, he said, but you have a custom that I release for you one person at Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? Now, they have two choices. Jesus or somebody who's already been arrested for crimes, sitting in jail. Murderers, robbers, thieves, people who needed to be locked away. And so Pilate, trying to stack the deck, says, okay, here's how I'm getting out of this deal. You get to choose. Jesus, or all these toothless bad guys back here behind bars? Pick one. Oh, wait, I'll pick one. How about Barabbas? You get Barabbas or Jesus? Who do you want? And he took 
the choice off of him and he threw it to someone else. You can't do that. It's your choice. And the crowds took it. And the crowds cried out. And that becomes the next choice we look at is the choice of the crowd. And the crowd that day turned their back on Jesus and asked for Barabbas, a murderer, an insurrectionist. And here's the crazy thing. This guy had been trying to lead rebellions against the Romans, and Pilate lets him go. What a foolish choice. It would have been very easy to do the righteous thing. As a matter of fact, he'd been warned by the Holy Spirit, his wife. Holy Spirit number two. Holy Spirit number one spoke to Holy Spirit number two, and his wife, and, 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 and having that spirit of discernment and in a dream, discovers this is not something you should mess with. Don't mess with this righteous man. She told her husband. He didn't listen to her. He didn't listen to God, but he listened to the crowds. So Pilate took him in verse 19, had him scourged, had him thrown in with a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, and they would put him on a cross. He made his choice. He thought the crowd made it, but he made his own choice. And today, everyone in this space makes their own choice. Your mom can't make it for you. Your daddy can't make it for you. Your spouse can't make it for you. The preacher can't make it for you. You've got to make your choice. Who is Jesus? And they would cry out to him and they said, you better give us Barabbas. Jesus will not be our king. Caesar is our king. Bunch of hypocrites. Because behind the scenes, you know what they've been doing? They've been praying, God, get rid of this king, Caesar. We hate this guy. He's pagan. He doesn't belong in our city. He, Caesar wasn't their king. But they used him for their own glory. They didn't want anybody to be king. Caesar or Jesus. They wanted to be king. And see, that's our problem. Our problem is we want to be king. We want to do life how we want to do it. We want to do those things that are pleasing to our flesh. We want to be king. Don't make Jesus my king. That's the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. I found that when I was king in my life, when I was in charge, my life was empty. My life was messed up. And I had a lot of great things going on. I had a blessed life, as you look at it on the outside, but I was empty on the inside. It wasn't until a junior in high school when I came to understand that the problem was who was king. I was king and he was not. And after I heard the gospel preached one more time, after nine months of hearing it before, I came to realize that I had a choice to make. What would I believe in my heart? I believed plenty in my head. I knew there was a God. I knew there was a Jesus. I just never had believed in my heart. The Bible says it's with a heart man believes, resulting in salvation. I had a choice to make. Was I going to leave that night? We were in a big crusade. Our whole town had been invited in to convention hall, and the gospel was presented, and each one of us had to make a choice. And that night, I came down to an aisle much like this, to an altar much like this. I declared publicly my need for a king, a need for Jesus. Nobody else could make it for me. Cammie couldn't make it for me, although she'd been praying for me for a whole year. Parents couldn't make it for me. The evangelist, Jay Strack, preaching that night, he couldn't make it for me. I had to make a choice. So where are you today? What have you believed in your heart? 
What do you do with Jesus? Judas? Judas' choice? I don't know if Jesus can do anything good for me. Peter's choice of falling from a distance and becoming casual, and you become disconnected in your walk. Pilate, I'll do it later. I'll choose not to choose. Let me tell you one last choice before we close. Something to wrestle with is this. We've seen all these human choices that were made, all these different choices that were made. But Holy Week would have never been a reality if it wasn't for another choice, God's choice. In Luke 22, Jesus, backing up the train a little bit, took the disciples to the mountain to pray right before he'd be arrested. And when he got to that place, he warned them that they should stay awake, that they should be praying, that the enemy was trying to destroy them, that they needed to be praying against that temptation. And they were all sleeping, but Jesus was praying. And when Jesus prayed, the Bible says he was so overwhelmed with the moment, he knew exactly what was about to happen. You know how he knew what was about to happen? Because the prophecies of Scripture, hundreds of prophecies, specifically said hundreds of years before it would ever happen exactly what he was about to experience. It was prophesied that he'd be beaten and bruised for our transgressions. He knew that. It also says in Scripture that that Messiah, that one that would be beaten, would be beaten to such a point that he would be so swollen with pain and with all of the swelling of the cuts and the scars and the bruises that you couldn't even tell who he was. It says that he'd be pierced in his hands and his feet. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew what was coming. And under all that stress and taking on the sin of the world and the enemy's attack coming against him, trying to persuade him not to go through with it, let me tell you this, Jesus so loved you, he chose the cross. He said, Father, if there's a game plan B, I'm open to talking about it. I would have asked the Father for a game plan B, C, D, E. I would have gone all the way to Z. But then he said, my choice is this, not my will, but God, your will be done. And that meant a cross, and that meant a brutal death, and that meant a cross, your cross, my cross. Jesus chose it. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible says, God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were sinners, he died for us. That cross is a demonstration. You don't have to doubt like Judas did. Well, apparently Jesus isn't who he said he was. You don't have to doubt. Jesus proved it. He demonstrated it on a cross. For you and for me, not when we were pretty and not when we were perfect, but while we were sinners. And he did that because that was his choice. Remember Peter, the guy that denied Jesus? The Lord would let him preach the very first sermon after his resurrection. And when he preached in Acts chapter 2, he rebuked the unbelieving Israelites and he said to the men of Israel, You crucified him with your evil hands but God raised him up again putting that to the end of of agony and death it was the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God that nailed him to the cross is what Peter preached in other words what Peter was saying is it wasn't your choice you didn't choose to kill him he was chosen before the foundation of the world it was predetermined that God's love would be demonstrated on a cross God would make a way for you and me to be saved Way before we ever sinned, Jesus had already been predetermined to be crucified. 
think about that. Before God ever placed man on the earth, he already predetermined Jesus and the cross. He knew what was coming and he knew about the rebellion of his creation and he still created anyway. And when God created on that day, on the fourth day of creation, it says he created signs for the seasons, for the days and the years, and even placed signs in the stars that would paint the gospel. Painting a story of his redemptive love through Jesus on a cross. When he made all the trees and the plants on the third day of creation, he knew that one of the seeds from one of those trees would eventually become the tree that would hold his son on a cross bound by his wrist and his feet. When he made the animals on day six, he knew that one of those would soon give its life, an innocent lamb, to be covering for Adam and Eve a picture of the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And then when God created and cursed, when he cursed the ground after their sin and said that the ground would produce nothing but thorns and thistles because of man's sin, he knew it would be those thorns that would be formed into a crown that would be thrust on Jesus' head. Jesus did it anyway. God chose to love you through Jesus. God's choice. 1 John 4, 9. I'll put it on the screen. Look at the words. For in this, the love of God was made manifest, among, made known, was put into reality. It was manifest among us. So God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. Not so that we could just live and do life and die, but truly live through him. You see, if you've never made that choice, if you've never chosen to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you may be breathing, but you are spiritually dead. You have no life. But through Christ, we have life. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. That's Easter. God's love for you. Demonstrated on a cross, validated in an empty tomb. Jesus is who he said he was. And Jesus said, anyone who believes in me, even though they die, they shall still live. What do you believe? What's your choice? Would you pray with me this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed? A choice to be made. Everyone during that week, that holy week, we're making choices about who Jesus was and who Jesus would be to them. Judas, the other disciples, Pilate, the crowd, the religious of that city, all made choices. And the same is true this very morning. Every person in this room must choose who is Jesus. Is he Lord and Savior or is he just a figure of history? Is he my king or am I going to stay king? I know in a room this size there are many. You've made Jesus your king. You've trusted him. There's been a time in your life where you have declared that he is to be the king of your life. But there may just be somebody like me sitting in that convention hall. Maybe you're sitting at Putnam City Baptist Church or maybe you're viewing online. And you know in your head, you know, you know you're missing something. You know there is a God, but he isn't your God. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, they can be saved. He can become your God today. He can change your life. He promised 
that the old life will be gone and he will make you a brand new person. Is there somebody here today that needs to choose Jesus, the Jesus that died on a cross, the Jesus that was buried in a tomb, the Jesus who rose from the dead and wants to live in your heart right now? You say, how do I do that? What do I do? You just talk to God and say, God, I need you to save me. Just tell him that. God, I need you to save me. God, I want you to be my king. I choose you this day. If you just prayed that prayer, there's nothing, nothing powerful about the words you just prayed, but what is powerful is the God who answers that prayer, the God who now comes to live in your heart. And he said, if you will confess me publicly before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Are you really seeking truth? Just like he challenged Pilate. Are you going to walk in truth, Pilate, or are you playing games? Same question for you. In a moment, we're going to stand as we sing. If, if you've made a true commitment to Christ, I'm going to encourage you to come to one of our ministers and share with them what that commitment is. If it's to trust Christ, say, today I nailed it down. If it's because you need to take a step of obedience through believer's baptism, share that. If you need a church family, you can come for that reason as well. Let me pray for you right now. Father, in Jesus' name. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not our will, but your will be done. And God, if there's someone today that needs to choose you, God, give them faith right now. Lord, on this day, may we give you all glory, honor, and praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Staff will be here. If you need to respond for any reason, this time is for you. You come.